you are here this morning for the first time, welcome. We, we're so glad you're here. Uh, you are joining us in the middle of a series we're calling No Big Deal, Exposing Our Respectable Sins. And uh, we've, been, we've been confronted and, and challenged. It's, it's been very convicting for me. I, I hope it has been for you as we've looked at, at some of these respectable sins, these things that we think, uh, you know, they're not, you know, they're not the big sins. They're not that, that challenging. Uh, you know, God doesn't get quite that upset with these things. But as we've looked at scripture, we've seen that they really are, they really are a big deal. Um, last week, uh, we talked about gossip. And last week, we did live preaching at all three campuses. And so, um, we, Phil Lane was out in Cincinnati, and we, we each illustrated this a little bit differently. One of the things that Phil did is he had his kids come up and draw with markers, colored markers on him, uh, to show the impact of what gossip does to people. Um, here, I think Pastor Justin had some candy that he used as his illustration and talked about the fact that, that uh, sometimes, you know, gossip, you know, we, we just can't resist and we, we want to have more. Um, Actually, out at Bainbridge last week, I had, we had a sing-along. I sang a little Ario Speedwagon, and they sang along. So that was, that was awesome. And so uh, this week, we're simulcasting. So welcome to Bainbridge. Welcome to Cincinnati. And uh, especially a welcome to those watching online. As we jump into our respectable sin for this week, I just want to give you a little illustration. Does anybody know what? What this is, I'll, I'll, I'll help you a little bit. So you do this, right? A little, a little that, right? I don't know. What are we going to do? Seven card stud, 52 pick. Here we go. There we go. That's a great idea. Uh, I don't know. Jacks are wild. All right, here we go. Right? I don't know about you, but this is... Uh, in a church that I grew up in, uh, fundamentalist, conservative, dare I say, maybe even legalistic church, uh, this was a big deal. In fact, this was a, this was a symbol or, or one of the ways that we would describe worldliness. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, I, I, I kind of grew up in an environment where, you know, Playing cards like this, these are the tool of the devil, right? Um, there was things, there was just taboos. There was things that, that you were declared worldly if you did. You know, if you drank alcohol, ooh, you were worldly. If you went to movies in the movie theater, you were worldly. And listen, if you played with these things, oh my goodness, you were worldly. Well, let me give you a personal example with this. So um, I, I, I don't know if I've ever shared this before with you. I think I have. That My wife and I started dating when we were 16. And now, so we've been together many years. I'm not going to tell you exactly how many. Um, but, uh, and, it, and it gets better every year. Uh, but I will tell you that um, you know, two beautiful daughters later, one, you know, just amazing girls, uh, four or five houses later, uh, moving uh, halfway across the country and then back again, 
um, five cats, I don't know, all those things would not possibly have happened. It's, it's very possible that none of those things would have, would have happened because of playing cards. Now, it's not because I, you know, gambled away our house, you know, or something like that. It was because when we first started dating, my mother found out that her family played cards. And this was just a mind-blowing concept to my mother. In fact, she couldn't wrap her head around the fact that my wife's father was a deacon in their church, and yet they played with playing cards. In fact, the game that they played sounds even worse because their favorite game was this game called Dirty Rummy. Right? It just sounds like so worldly, doesn't it? And listen, my mother had what we used to refer to as a conniption fit. Do you know what I'm talking about with that? Like she just lost her mind over this. And, and, and for a time was demanding that I stop dating this worldly girl that's part of this worldly family. Now listen, if you, if you have personal choices and, and there's things that you're saying that you, know, you don't want, part, want to partake in and, and, and it includes those things in the list, this morning I commend you for those things. I'm not mocking you. But I will challenge you, I think, this morning to see that there's more to this definition of worldliness. There's more to this, this respectable sin of worldliness than things like playing cards, going to movies, or drinking. In fact, the reason I showed that video about the paradox is this morning we really, we've got to wrestle with a paradox. You see, there's this principle from Scripture, and maybe you've heard this before, that we are to, as believers, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And I've used that phrase before. People, I've heard other people use that phrase before, but I've always wrestled with, really, what does that mean? Like, there's, there's a paradox there of, like, like to what extent? Like, like does that mean that, that we should live here physically but not participate? Maybe we should all be Amish and, and we should shut off the world and not have electricity and not, not be connected to the world system at all, Right? Or, like, what else? Like, that's, that seems to extreme. So where do we land? Where, how do we define this? So this morning, I would ask you to join me in John chapter 17. We're going to look at, at, at a prayer of Jesus that he prayed for this, his disciples. That, that it's where we get this idea of, of be in the world, but not of the world. So if you would, join me in, in John chapter 17. And I do, as you're turning there, I, I do want to have this disclaimer. So if you are, if you are not a Jesus follower this morning, we're, we're super excited that you're here with us or you're watching online. We're glad that you're, you're testing this out. You, you're, you're, you know, you're trying to figure this, this whole Jesus thing out. That's great. We're, we are excited that you are with us. This morning's message is really directed towards people that have already made that commitment to be a Jesus follower. So if you have not made that decision yet, I don't want you to be confused. This, this message is not about you behaving better. It's not about you somehow cleaning up your life so that God will accept you. 
That's not, that's not the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he accepts us and takes us from wherever we are. And, and it is through his sacrifice that our sin is paid for and that we can have a restored relationship with God. And so if you are not a Jesus follower this morning, first of all, we want to encourage you to make that decision to follow him. But do not, do not take this message to be anything about what your behavior. You, you're, you can't clean up yourself. You, you can't uh, overcome this sin of worldliness on your own. All right, so with that disclaimer said, let's jump into John chapter 17. And, and I'm starting at verse 13. And, and if you have a red-letter Bible, you, you'll see that this, this is actually in the middle of Jesus' prayer. In verse 13, he says this, Now I am coming to you. He's praying to the Father, and he's saying, like, I'm, I'm about ready to end my earthly ministry. I'm, I'm about ready to come to heaven. And Jesus said, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus' prayer for his disciples as he's preparing to go to the cross is God, protect them. Don't take them out of the world. Help them to be in the world, but not of the world. It's a paradox. And, and one of the things that maybe makes this challenging for us to understand is the way that the Bible uses the word world. Now, there are times where we talk about the Greek language having multiple words for a single English word. So, for instance, we talk about love, and there's four different Greek words, and you know, we talk about the different meanings of those words that help us to understand what the English word love means. But in this case, we actually have just the opposite situation. We have this one Greek word, cosmos, that depending on the setting, depending on the context, that word can mean several different things. It could mean the earth. It's just the, the planet earth, the third rock from the sun, like our surroundings. It, it, it could also mean people. And so when you, when you hear things like, be in the world but not of the world, or, or later on we'll look at some verses that talk about don't love the world, that, that might seem like a conundrum because a lot of us know John 3.16. For God so loved the world, right? And, and so sometimes that word world is talking about people. And that John 3.16 is talking about God loved all the people of the world. All of the people of the world. But as we wrestle through this, what we're really talking about is this system, the, the world system, the, the culture that surrounds us, the, the processes and, 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 and environment that we find ourselves in. 
And so as we talk about worldliness, one of the ways that, that we might define it is this, that it's Jesus' followers living like unbelievers. And, th- and this probably would be a very popular definition going back to, to my childhood days of, of being in a church that talked about you know, playing cards and, and movies and, and all those kinds of things. And, and I would say to an extent that definition is still true, but I want to share with you the definition that Jerry Bridges has here in his book, Respectable Sins. Because I think what it does is it changes the, the game. It changes the playing field of what we're talking about. And it, and it will help us to unwrap this paradox. His definition is this, that worldliness is being attached to, engrossed in, or preoccupied with the things of this temporal world. Being attached to, engrossed in, or preoccupied with. You see, I feel like that defines it at a much higher scale. Like there's, there's, some, there's some depth there. It goes beyond just certain things that we, we, we say are, are behaviors that indicate whether we're worldly or not. And it goes much higher. It sets a much higher standard. Here's, here's one of the standards that Scripture says. In 1 John, it says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. There, it's, it's an either-or proposition. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that all comes, that, that comes not from the Father, but it comes from the world. You see, when you start looking at things like the lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride in life, the the things that we pride ourselves on, our accomplishments and our quote-unquote success. You see, those things, it's really, it's not a question of just externals. And I think that's what a lot of this stuff used to focus on. The, the, the church was so focused on externals, and we didn't really talk a lot about the internals. The, what, what, what was our thinking? What are, what are our attachments? What are, what are our motivations? In fact, Jesus addressed this very clearly with the religious leaders of his day. In Matthew 23, in talking to the religious leaders, he said, you are like whitewashed tombs. You are beautiful on the outside, but you have dead bones on the inside. In other words, you, you have all the external behaviors down. You, you, you appear to live a righteous life. You don't appear to be worldly, but yet inside you're dead. Like there's nothing there. It, it, you're, full of, you're full of unclean things, the passage says. So as we wrestle through this and, and, and say, okay, there is an internal aspect of this that, that should then result in external behaviors, right? What is it that we need to be focusing on? And now, Jerry Bridges in his book names three things, 
There are, there are other things that we certainly can talk about, but here are three things that he identifies as things that would, would show that we are worldly in our thinking. The first one is how we handle money. Now, we've talked about this off and on uh, recently. I don't want to belabor this too much, uh, but even just a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that, that money in itself is not evil. It's a misquote of the Bible to say money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money, right? And so just using, using that definition of, of are you attached to, are you engrossed by, are, are, you, are you somehow preoccupied with money, right? then that, that becomes worldliness. How about immorality? Now, if you've been following along this sermon series, you may look at that and go, hold it a second immorality, how can that be a respectable sin? Like, Scripture is very harsh when it comes to talking about immorality. And I would agree with you. In fact, Jerry Bridges would agree with you if you read this chapter. He talks about the fact that here, when we're talking about this idea of worldliness, and, and, and we include this idea of immorality, it's because that we can have a tendency to... I don't know, have a secondary relationship with, with immorality? In other words, we, we would be like the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' time. We would say, oh, I would never do that. But we do enjoy reading about it. We do enjoy watching movies that depict it. And I would say that, that there is an, a, 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 an important distinction that we need to make when we're talking about externals and internals, it's one thing to, to say, I, okay, I don't perform that. I don't do that. I don't participate in that. That's the external. But Jesus repeatedly talked about the fact that it's not just what you do, but it's what you think and how you believe and, and, and what, what is going on internally. And so I think we can be guilty of worldliness because we are not separating our minds and our thought process. That really is worldliness. And then this last one, you might look at it and you go, whoa, hold a second. We don't have like graven images and, you know, we don't worship, you know, animals or trees or whatever. I mean, for the most part, I hope we don't do that. But when you, again, when you talk about this idea of idolatry, it's what is it that's in your life that, that has more focus, more energy, more time you are more concerned about than your relationship with God? You see, anything that you place above that, above your relationship with God, that's an idol. You, you've placed it as, as higher than God. And so when we, we hear this word idolatry, we, we're, we're kind of you know, shocked at it at first. But, but again, going back to that definition of worldliness, is there things in my life, are there things in your life that we are attached to, that we're engrossed in, that we are preoccupied with, that somehow is more important to us than our relationship with God? 
Now listen, when we talk about this idea of worldliness, it even comes into play in church life. There, there are people that look at our church and look at other churches like us and go, that is a worldly church. I don't know if you've heard that, but I have. And here's, here's the problem, is they're equating the fact that we've changed our methods over time. We, we sing contemporary music. Uh, we preach in jeans. Uh, you know, whatever. We, we do these things that some people look at and go, oh, you have compromised with the world. But I do want to make this clarification. Because I think this applies not only to us as a church, but us as individuals. That we, we can be culturally relevant and culturally responsive. We can, we can react to the things that are going around, around us in a compassionate way, in a biblical way. We can do those things. We can be in the world, but not be culturally entangled, not be of the world. You see, that's where we need to head. And now, like I mentioned early on, if you are not a Jesus follower, you don't have the ability to do this. But if you are a Jesus follower, you do. Not, not in your own strength, but with each one of these respectable sins, we're going to come back and we, we, we look at the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The, the, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If there's, if there's one thing that's the antithesis of being worldly, it's this idea of doing good. Goodness. But again, that can't happen just externally. That work of the Holy Spirit producing fruit in us, it, it, it comes from him working in our thoughts and attitudes. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Romans chapter 12 talks about the same thing. It's about the renewing of our mind, the transformation that takes place. You see, it's the Holy Spirit working in us. But I feel like we need to be careful and not oversimplify this. I, I think that there's one thing that I really want us to grasp on this morning that, that kind of takes this from a, a spiritual realm and takes us into a very practical realm. And that is our perspective. When we talk about our renewing our thoughts and our attitudes, we really need to be able to take a bigger picture view of things. We need to, we need to take a step back and look at the long-term, dare I say, the eternal perspective of things to help us understand how we should overcome this respectable sin of worldliness. First Peter says this, And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. That's a principle that as a believer, as a Jesus follower, we are still going to be judged on our actions. Now, that judgment is not going to determine our eternal destiny, 
But there is, there is a principle of judgment that takes place for believers. And so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time. Fear God. Obey his commands. Because you are here as temporary residents. And now that, that, that phrase, that word, temporary residents, aliens, was, was something that really resonated with the people that Peter was writing to. In fact, in the first verse, he talked about that his target audience, the people he was writing to, were sojourners. They were people that were part of the dysphoria. They were, they were believers that were in the city of Jerusalem, and because of persecution, they had been spread out through all of Asia Minor. You see, they understood that concept because they were living it already. They were temporary residents. They were in places, they were in foreign lands, they were outside of their element. They were not at their home country, of their place of citizenship. They were temporary residents. In fact, Scripture describes for us not only are we temporary residents, but we have an assignment. We have a, a job that's been given to us, a, 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 a position and a responsibility that's given to us. It says in 2 Corinthians that, that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And here's his appeal. We, we, we speak for Christ. We speak on behalf of Christ. As his ambassador, when we plead with people, come back to God. You see, we are ambassadors, not citizens. I love the fact that the, the song, one of the songs that we sang this morning, talked about the, that we're a citizen of heaven. You see, there's an old song that goes something like this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And if we have that eternal perspective, that will help us to understand that all this around us is temporary. And so we won't be, we won't be engrossed by money. We won't be engrossed by immorality. We, we, won't, we won't be engrossed by the, the systems of this world. You see, we have a heavenly citizenship. And we are literally foreigners among this land. This world is not our home. We are ambassadors. Now let me give you an illustration of this. And, and I feel like over the last couple of weeks, we've had so much focus on the Olympics. And so I, I want to highlight one Olympic athlete that really, I think, embodies and, 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 and explains this principle. Because this athlete is very proud to be an American. She, she represents our country well. And I am not suggesting this morning that somehow that, you, know, you give up your citizenship as far as what we do in our country. But my challenge is that no matter what it is, whether it's your citizenship in America or other things, that needs to take a back seat to the realization that you are an ambassador, you're, you're a representative in a foreign land, and your citizenship, your true citizenship, 
Your eternal citizenship is in heaven. But let me share with you the story of Sydney McLaughlin. She, she won a gold medal in the 400-meter hurdles. In fact, she set a world record at the Olympics that beat her previous, she, she held the world record and she beat her own record to win the Olympic gold. But listen to what she said. She said this afterwards, I no longer run for self-recognition, but to reflect his perfect will that is already set in stone. I don't deserve anything, but by grace through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records come and go. World records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. You see, that, that is an eternal perspective. Amen? Does she put a lot of effort in training? Absolutely. Would, would some people look at her and say, oh, you must be obsessed with running? If you're looking at the externals, sure. But when you consider the internals, when you consider her motivation and her recognition that all of this, all of the hard work, all of the effort, that gold medal that's hanging around her neck, she understands it's temporal. It's temporary. It's going to go away someday. And what matters is the fact that she's representing Jesus Christ as his ambassador. And she sees that her citizenship is not just here, but it is an eternal citizenship. You see, you are an ambassador. You're not a citizen. Now the challenge is that if you identify as a Jesus follower, but the question is, how do people around you perceive you? Because as an ambassador, you, you are a representation of Jesus Christ to a foreign land, to a, to a people that have no understanding and no desire to follow Jesus, but yet you are his representation. So how do they view you? Do they, do they look at you and, and say, oh, you're a rich person? Or do they... Or do they preface that with saying, that's a, a Christian, that's a Jesus follower? Are, are, are you identified, do people identify you by your political viewpoints? Do, do your friends know you as a Republican or a Democrat? Listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in politics, but is that how people identify you? Like, is that the most important thing in your life? How are you identified? You see, we should live in such a way that people go, you know, you're different. You, you, you have a different perspective on things. You almost seem like you're a foreigner around here. Because you could say, I am. I am a foreigner. I'm here as an ambassador and a representative of Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador, not a citizen of this world. Hey, let's close in a word of prayer. 
Our gracious God, we, we thank you for the opportunity, the fact that we can be your representative. We don't deserve it. Uh, in our own strength, we can't do it. But God, we, we, we know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, if we've made the decision to follow you, that we have the ability to represent you well. God, help us. Help me. Help each one of us. That claim the name of Jesus. To proclaim the name of Jesus through our thoughts, through our actions. That we might plead with people like the passage said, come back to God. Help us to be that kind of representative of you. God, help us not to be entangled by the things of this world, but to be focused on you. God, we just praise you and thank you for the opportunity to do that through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.